Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Trending Pet Food, the industry podcast where we cover all the latest hot topics and trends in pet food. I'm your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, Lindsay Beaton, and I'm here today with the perfect inaugural guest, the owner and one-man show behind consultancy company Change Stranamics, Marcel Block. Hi, Marcel, and welcome. Hello, Lindsay. Thank you very much for inviting me to be um, your inaugural guest. Uh, I'll try my and do my best to, um, to make it worth your while. Well, you are very welcome, and I'm really looking forward to today's discussion. So for those of you who have not had the pleasure of meeting Marcel, he has 40 years of international pet food experience through senior and top management roles, marketing, and general management. He has built sustainable businesses and brands in heavily competitive markets. Marcel is a citizen of the Kingdom of the Netherlands, a longtime dog and cat owner, and a strong believer in the need for meaningful development and our moral obligation to leave the world a better place than we found it. His approach to business reflects that, honest, clear, unambiguous, and on time. His guiding principle is a quote by Charles Darwin. It is not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the one that is most adaptable to change. Change Stranamics is a 27-year-old pet food consultancy company based in the Netherlands. The company offers unconventional and fresh strategic insight for the worldwide pet food industry, as well as the help to come to successful implementation. Change Stranamics challenges the myths in the industry and is curious by nature. About 20 years ago, the company took the initiative to build Breakthrough, a network of independent, highly experienced pet food consultants that covers a wide variety of advisory needs that people in the industry may have. With a resume like that, it's clear that our discussion is going to be a good one. So let's get started on answering today's question. What do you really need to do in order to be called a true innovator in the pet food world? So Marcel, this is a complex question. I'm really looking forward to doing a deep dive into it. So let's get started with this. What do you think pet food companies mean right now when they say innovation? For me, innovation is not a business goal in its own right. It is a means to reach a business goal. Innovation is a process and it serves the higher purpose. And that higher purpose is the business goal. That is number one. To answer your question, let me give you an example. Only recently, I spoke with a company owner and, and she told me that she had launched a very innovative range of products involving sustainably sourced novel ingredients. And she uses sustainable, state-of-the-art packaging and I asked them, what kind of process or technology do you use to end up with this beautiful product? And she said, extrusion. And I sort of said to her, you know what, but if you use extrusion, you mean to say that you have all these novel things and to come to a final product, you use a technology that was first used 65 years ago. So tell me how innovative this is. And I said, I come to the conclusion that you actually mean to say this is new. For me, there is often the mistake made between innovative, whereas people cannot go further than saying this is 
new and new. Is it new for the market? Is it new for the industry? Or is it just new for the company? So there are different shades of newness. As a general point, Lindsay, I believe that words seem to lose their value over time. Yeah, it, It's as if they are devalued, they, that their meaning dilutes. What I do see, certainly not only in our industry, is that we need more and more hyperboles to get the message across. You remember that time when we were talking about super premium. Super premium was the neck plus ultra. Super premium is not good enough anymore. It needs to be ultra premium or high premium. It's the hyperbole. It is where do we find the difference? You see that in communication around brands and around products. To give you an example, I come across people that they are super excited. First of all, they cannot be just excited anymore. They need to be super excited because everybody else is already excited. So how do you make the difference? When people say to me they are super excited, my interpretation is because of the devaluation of meaning of words that they're probably mildly enthusiastic. (laughs) So where do you think that began? Do you think it began on the industry side as a marketing ploy to really try to stand out in the market via brand messaging? Or do you think it started on the consumer side? Do you think they were they were saying they wanted something better than premium? And which side started all of this? I do not have any proof. So I only can interpret what has happened and why it has happened. Just answer to your question is that it started on the industry side. Because I have actually hardly ever heard a consumer say, yes, I always feed super premium, but now I need something more. First of all, we are in an industry that is very good at inventing words or inventing denominations that are meaningful to the industry, but in no way to the consumer. But that's an aside. Let's go through what happened, and that sort of answers your question, I hope. You're looking at your worldwide industry that is still growing. The opportunities are there. In the growth of the market, we see a growth of the number of what I sometimes call names on the back. But I have the impression that the number of events is actually more than the growth of the market and the market potential, which means that all these brands need to say something. They need to try and make a difference. And and how do they currently do that? Not with a story, with a claim. And if you have one claim, somebody else will have a claim that is just a bit more. I don't say better, a bit more than the claim of the competitor. Which means that all these claims, and I truly have pity on on the marketers that will have to come up with the quest for difference. Because all these people try to be different, but the, the meaning of different becomes more and more meaningless, actually, because the differences become more and more marginal. And that is where I feel that it is the industry that started with the hyperboles and the exaggerations. Uh, if you want, and not the consumer. No, I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, once a market gets as mature as segments of the pet food market have gotten and as filled, I mean, all you have to do is walk into a pet store and you can see how many brands there are competing for space on the shelves and how many are competing for attention. And your message is the first thing that consumers come across. 
I can yeah. see how it would be very easy to slip into brand differentiation via hyperbole or trying to do anything, any kind of wording that is going to catch somebody's eye. Because obviously, you know, there's a very visual component to marketing, but the messaging, the words that people take away with them and associate with your brand is a pretty big deal. And I can see how it would very easily slip into something like that, where suddenly everybody is trying to outdo each other with brand messaging inadvertently or otherwise. You know, they might just be trying to to keep up or to to actually be innovative, but we have slid off that path and like you said, turned innovation into simply meaning new or the next best thing rather than, you know, a game changer, which is what innovation was meant to be. So something that you said to me is that as an industry, we have reached the point where we have to swim against the stream we have created ourselves because the waves we have created are starting to bounce back. So at this stage of the game, how do we do that? What do you think the process of true innovation would look like for a company right now? The process of true innovation is, first of all, innovation may not be the objective, but innovation itself will have objectives. And if you don't have objectives, clear ones, when you start an innovation process, it's not called innovation, it's called Eureka. So for me, innovation is to develop something that is meaningful for the end buyer, that makes a structural and long-lasting change in and for the market, that takes a long time to be copied effectively, and yields an unprecedented high level of value, added value, sorry. Because I'm saying innovation, it hasn't been there before, and it is not comparable to anything else. I have been thinking about innovation for quite some time, and I've said to myself, you know what? Actually, what you try to achieve with innovation is that you want to create a level playing field on which you are the only player. I like that. That is what you try to do. And whether, whether that is protected through intellectual property, that to me is irrelevant. It is you want to be somewhere where you like it and you want to be alone. So is there any industry or any example in any industry where that's happening? That is a tough one. You know, one of the disadvantages of having worked in one and the same industry for 40 years is that you start to suffer from either myopia or biopia. So can I give examples from other industries? No, I, I can give an example from, from our industry. I, I'm, I'm very conscious that I will not make myself very popular with people in the audience, but I'm going to say it anyway. For me, true or genuine innovation in our industry was Shiba, the Mars product, the, the portion pack Mars that was launched in Europe in 1986 or could have been 87. That was a true innovation. Why was it a true innovation? One, it was portion pack that changed the face of the industry. Because before that, nobody had portion back. Took competitors roughly three to four years to come up with something that quality-wise was not even an equivalent. And it set standards, price standards, in the market that were unprecedented. When Shiba was launched in Europe, the per kilo price was roughly the same as the price for prime beef. 
something happened and it lasted. So it, it was not a fashionable thing or anything like that. It lasted. It changed the industry. It changed the market. That was innovation. The other thing is, where do you start? Because part of your question was, mm, so fine, let, let's assume you want to start with innovation. Then let me give you an example. Later on, we, we can probably go into detail. Probably three years ago, I, I was in contact with people I know, and we talked. And the end result of our discussions was that we would have a strategy that needed to be innovative, not necessarily, let's say, on, on each particular element or component, but the, the combination, the holistic approach would have been and, and will be innovative. We started with a, a pet food project, of course, in which three cornerstones. Cornerstones, obviously, other than health and well-being of, uh, for, for dogs and cats, we said high sustainability, transparency, and ingredient integrity. Part of the challenge fitting under the high sustainability aspect was to reduce the energy consumption in production, and not only in production, upstream and downstream, substantially, because energy is not only a cost factor, it is it becomes a social factor as well. And in, in doing that, try and limit the steps in process. We thought and still think that this was very challenging in an industry that has a lot of food safety, regulations, questions, maybe issues. There is a set of standards that is not easy to work with if you think innovation. There is no end result, at least not so far. But I can say that we're on the right track. We are probably halfway the development of a process that has never been used in considered for pet food. It does fit with the idea of limited or reduced processing and with a high degree of fresh raw materials. So also the raw materials have not gone pre-processing before they process into pet food. My question is, is that innovative or not? Actually, I can't answer that question. Somebody else has to do it for me. But I can tell you one thing. It's great fun. Do you think that right now, the way the industry is, all the competing trends, all the competing consumer demands, do you think that it is more of a challenging time to be truly innovative or is it an opportunistic time? Should being innovative be a plan right now for companies? Are there opportunities out there to truly be innovative and get back on this path and make it part of your business strategy? I think that innovation is an opportunity that is always there. Because if we believe that is not the case, we don't believe in change. There is another thing that we need to take into account, and that is the opportunity may be there, but is it necessary innovation? And we have reached the state where I am convinced that the necessity for innovation is there. The thing is that we cannot continue to say that we don't have to change because, as I said before, if we are working with a technology that is 65 years old, I mean for pet food, and if we go into wet in general, as we call it in the industry, which was conceptually developed 216 years ago, do we still have an excuse not to change? And innovation is not improving a process, but having a new process or a new something, again, that is meaningful, etc. And that is where we can bring new life to the industry. 
we we are talking about an industry and a market that is growing and all of a sudden what happens we one we sort of fall asleep and two we become complacent i think that what we need to take into account that in the early stages of our industry you see the development go in big steps one big leap after the other that's noticeable in the development of any industry and then you see that some of these big steps can be called uh, innovations because let's say the benchmark was so easy to improve that there could be innovation it becomes more and more difficult the more markets evolve markets go from simple to less simple to sophisticated and then all of a sudden we end up somewhere where it becomes like to make any improvement any change we may have reached that stage more or less in our end so what i think is the evolution goes a bit like from innovation to improvement to tweaking and in our market we are in the tweaking stage Don't forget that because of this evolution the market has made it very very easy actually on on, on us on the, the manufacturers if you want the market continued to show growth even in times of an economic downturn so we didn't even think about what happens if there is an economic downturn because our experience is nothing happens why why do you want to change if you if you're happy so we kept investing into what we knew because that was where the market was that was our comfort zone and we did not have any idea of getting out of our own comfort zone so what happened is because we we were comfortable we continued to invest in what we knew and the more we invested the more reluctant we came to change a good friend of mine said it said it years ago he said Marcel we got married to the kid and and he's right we got married to the kid if you take that into account there is another aspect that we must not forget and that is an in industry we are followers because we operate in the wake of human food industry we operate actually in the wake of the trends of human food industry most of what we use in pet food ingredient wise is actually what nobody else wants to use for human food any change in human food will have repercussions in our industry one way or another and that to an extent may give us a very good reason to start and think very seriously about innovation because the human food industry is and we cannot pretend that is their worry and continue to have a worryless life so i will give you an example i've been thinking about the fishing fleets that go into the fjord because at the end of the fjord near the shore there is an enormous amount of anchovy fish to be caught and you can visualize all these trawlers going into the fjord and uh, one has a bit more diesel power than the other and eventually they will all be there trying to get their catch of anchovies and then there is this slightly older skipper of a trawler who says at first that, that let's not forget he, he doesn't have these very powerful machine anyway so what he says i go to the next fjord and i go ashore there take my nets with me i walk to the main fjord and approach the fish from the other side because that is where i will be alone and let the fleet and all the other fishermen fight for their side of the the anchovies i will be alone on my side and that is call it try and cast your net from a different vantage point
And that is part of innovation. I like it. Say somebody is listening to this podcast and they're nodding their head and they're going, you know what? I'm in. What do you think is the most important thing for a person, for a brand, for a company to keep in mind if what they're really going for is true innovation? Where can they start? What can we give companies as a starting point to really take a look at what they're doing and really set off on the path to true innovation. Yes, the maybe it's useful to uh, to make a few remarks before I try to answer that question. First of all, also innovation aims for success. So, which are the conditions actually to be successful? From a company point of view, it is essential that the process of innovation has the interest and the commitment of the board and the team. Must allow for deviations of the plan because planning innovation is nice and you must do it but you must allow for deviation because to an extent you're entering uncharted waters because if the waters would have been charted already you can't call it innovation at least not for me there is always the risk in any process that you start to make it easy on yourself and you start to dilute the process don't do that because that means that you do not keep in line anymore with the overriding business objective. That's not what innovation is a means to reach a business objective, not an objective in its own right. And of course, they focus because, you know, I know, we all know that we're on the road somewhere. And all of a sudden, we see this side road and we feel that at the end of this side road, there is this pot of gold. So on we go onto the side road, trying to find the pot of gold, forgetting what we were aiming to do, and that was to stay on the main road and get to where we wanted. It will be a team of, to an extent, or at least inception of other, of disruptors. Innovation is taking people out of their comfort zone. And there is another thing, and that I was talking about, what are the conditions? Probably the best way to build innovation, you may start it, but you can very quickly kill it as well. And that is that you have to deal with internal politics. One, it takes an enormous amount of time and it is extremely ineffective. And that kills any motivation to continue with any process. Of course. If the corporate culture does not allow for failure, I would say don't even bother to start because the process of innovation is not a solid guarantee. There is another thing that I call the not invented here syndrome. The not invented here syndrome is we like all ideas as long as they originate in the company. Anything that comes from the outside is not worth considering. What is the process? What can be the process? Well, how do you start? And that is true innovation. True innovation is most likely is the end result, the process of being and trying or thinking innovatively. I think the best way to approach this is it is not a top-down approach. It is not the chairman of the board who says to somebody in the organization, you know what, do me a favor, be innovative for the next six months. Innovation comes from, let's say, the lower levels. People that are eager to prove themselves or they, they see something that the top brass doesn't see. I say is somebody starts with what I call an informal setting, a group of people around them, purely informal. It's a group of people that feels 
that it's time for the change and they have a feeling why they why they know that this time is right. And it would be good that for each idea, it will give the rationale. And at the same time, they provide the three key words of each idea that can be energy reduction or sunrise or whatever the, the three key words for any idea may be. I always say there are no such things as bad ideas. As soon as you have an idea that may not be appropriate and you divide it into three key words that describe the idea, one of these words may be appropriate in another idea. And, and that is what I call the process of mix and match between ideas and attributes. What you then do? Again, and this, this is all in an informal setting. You have this list of ideas, of attributes, and you go through a first attempt of separating the wheat from the chaff. Together as a team, remember this is a team effort. You, you end up with what I call a dream. And the dream is only we could have this or do that. The dream is something that has not been done before. Then what you could do, check in historic files to see if the dream that you have collectively has not been around before. Sometimes you see in companies that what you talk about today has already been discussed 15 years ago, but it was discarded because it was insane or whatever the reason. So that is still in the informal setting. You then try to make it formal in the way of put that dream on paper. Do not turn that into a book. Put it on paper, try to do it on, on one page and provide the rationale for development. That is the stage where you say, we believe so strongly in this and we have a good reason to do this that we will bring those to the board and hope to find agreement and, and obviously commitment. And then it is a development process for which you set your standards, your timings, your go no-go decisions. Innovation is not hyper, call it scientific activity. To put it very simply, I call it structured common sense. There's one thing and that is sometimes forgotten. And I say to the people, you know what? If, as soon as it becomes a project, give it a name. As soon as you give it a name, it becomes clearer. Turn the dream, if it's still a dream, make it a project. Have your timelines, have your standards, have your objectives, have your direction. Make sure that you can report back to the board uh, on a regular basis. Another aspect linked to innovation. Innovation, as I said, it's a process, but it is not a process that is executed by robots. So what kind of people are successful in an innovative setting? It is much more the way I see it than people with know-how and experience. It's about a mindset, a way of thinking. Make sure your, your team consists of people that are creative, that are tenacious, that don't care for give up as soon as you see the first hurdle. They need to be optimistic, challenging each other. Ambitious people is what you need. And I think that as a leader, that you must make sure for yourself that you encourage differences of opinion. This is what I think you need in the team. There are certain things that I believe you do not need in the team. First of all, make sure that you do not have the eternal pessimist. There is another pitfall 
and that is the person who is in the team for political reasons. And that is the person who is asked because we asked Joe, so we cannot ignore Jack. In general, what we could say is that anybody who doesn't have the required mindset to make things work and doesn't make a noticeable contribution, they're a break on the process and certainly not a help. This has been an excellent conversation. Thank you so much for your insights, Marcel. I think, like you said, it's easy to become complacent with the term innovation and lose our way. And I think you've given everyone a lot to think about in terms of their strategies and the direction the industry needs to go to get back to game-changing innovation, how to look at it, how to make it part of your business strategy if that's what you want to do, what true innovation might really look like these days. Before we go, let's do a little plug. Where can people find you? And where can people find Change Dynamics? How can they get a hold of you? People can find me, assuming that I'm not traveling or working in the garden, at marcel.blog at changedynamics.com. Uh, my website is changedynamics.com. And if people look me up in LinkedIn, my contact details will be there as well. Thank you again so much. That is it for this first episode of Trending Pet Food. You can find us on PetFoodIndustry.com, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. Once again, I'm Lindsay Beaton, your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.